Hello, Bulls fans, and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you again for joining me this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis, and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls. We just got done watching the Bulls come back and defeat the Phoenix Suns, winning 124-116 to at the United Center. And joining me today to talk about this game and all other things Bulls is Will Gottlieb from Bleacher Report, who is back in Chicago and at the UC tonight covering the game. Will, thanks for coming on the show, mate. How, how have you been? It's a pleasure. I'm glad to be back. It's been a while since I dusted off the old microphone and did a podcast on the Bulls um, to any of the, what was our call, Bull Court Press? <laughs> it's so long, I can't even remember the name. The Bull Court Press <laughs> listeners, I uh, ap- appreciate the patience with that. So but yeah, it's good to be back. Well, good to have you back, mate. I think last time we spoke was probably pre-season or even before that, doing a bit of a season review. But obviously, we're we're 18 games into this thing, I think, roughly now. So there's been a bit of basketball that's happened since we last talked. But uh, we're, we're going to be starting off here with the senior, uh, Phoenix Suns game, with the, which the Bulls obviously just sort of partake then, getting the win, like I mentioned a little, a little bit earlier, 124 to 116. You were at the game. You were covering it live. What, what did you make about this one? A lot of times when I look into like the in-depth stuff of a Bulls game, I'll watch the game and I'll go through some of the box score stats and then I'll rewatch clips and then maybe rewatch the game again. And a lot of what happened tonight is something that I don't think you can really get from just looking at the box score. There was a lot of hustle and energy, and I think that was sparked by your boy, Ryan Archidiakono. Everybody oh, was yeah. just gushing about him the entire night, <laughs> uh, which was actually fun. I mean, he played really well, but... He really did spur this energy that I have not seen out of this Bulls team in quite some time. So that was really good to see. And before the game, Fred Hoiberg was talking about how uh, how much like winning these tight games and like over like getting over the hump, uh, winning and putting away teams when you have a lead uh, or coming from behind and like overtaking a team late in game is so important for these guys. Uh, even despite the fact that they're trying to, you know. I don't know if we're tanking or if, you know, they're just kind of steadily rebuilding, whatever it is. But these kind of wins are really valuable in some capacity that's not necessarily quantifiable. And it's games like these where you can really sense that, like, energy and, like, I mean, people were happy. People were joking around in the locker room after it. Just It was a nice sight to see, despite the fact that it maybe hurt the tank a little bit. Yeah, look, this this is a weird game for me because I don't know what to make of it necessarily because I want to put this caveat on it because... The Bulls did play the Phoenix Suns, who are a very bad basketball team right now. So whilst I saw a lot of things that I enjoyed tonight and a lot of positives, I almost want to place that caveat on top of everything because it makes it hard to read into how good the Bulls were versus how bad the Suns were, I guess. so That's really how I felt. Sorry to cut you off, but that's really how I felt in the first half. It was like yeah, the score was kind of high and it was like, are these teams playing really good offense? No, the defense is just so unbearably bad that the ball is like finding its way through the hole. So it was pretty ugly in that first half, but it did, I think, turn around a little bit in the second second half, uh, third quarter and, and fourth quarter later on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the Bulls had a pretty strong second half, particularly towards that end of the the, uh, the end of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. Uh, into the fourth quarter, rather, they were down by as many as nine points at one point in that third quarter, but obviously came back and, and won the game by eight points. So that 17-point swing, if I've done my math correctly, is pretty significant, even against a bad team like the Suns. But I, I guess why I apply that caveat is because we saw Jabari Barker probably have his best game as a Chicago Bull. He had 20 points on only 10 shots, 
11 rebounds, 8 assists, and a team high plus 14. So Jabari deserves some credit for the game that he had, and I definitely don't want to take that away from him, but I'm just wondering, against maybe a more competitive team, are we going to see that Jabari Parker more frequently this season, or do you think it was more of a one-off outlier type performance? Well, we'll see. I mean, this team, this Suns team does have a lot of like decently sized guys that can kind of match up with Jabari. But to your point, I mean, Jabari played really, really well. Six for 10 from the floor. He got to the free throw line 10 times, which is awesome to see. And the eight assists, eight assists is really nice. 13 rebounds is like just, you know, he's, he's a good rebounder, but 13 is a high number. So all around really good effort. I really liked his defense. I mean, he was definitely trying out there. He like ran hard to close people out, run them off three point line. He tried to save a ball out of bounds at one point in the fourth quarter and did and, and got an extra possession for the Bulls. So this is the kind of stuff that like is very contagious. And I, I really do think that like Archie Diakono's dive out of bounds really did kind of set the tone for them in that capacity. Um, but back to Jabari, I mean, I think this is the kind of game where he's been asked to do a lot more than I think he probably should in terms of facilitating the ball just with Chris Dunn and Larry Markkinen and Bobby Portis and Denzel Valentine all being out. But this is one of those games where things were really clicking for him and that kind of also gave him a little bit more juice. Yeah, definitely. I thought his passing game tonight was fantastic. There was a few sort of high-low passes that he made. That one that he had sort of where he went up for the shot but then sort of dumped it off to Zach Levine on the baseline for that dunk. That was probably one of the plays of the game. Definitely a great pass from Jabari on that sort of on that play particularly, but it sort of emphasizes what I've said a little bit earlier. The Suns' defense is just so bad. I have no idea where their rim protection is at all. We can talk about DeAndre Ayton and Wendell Carter Jr. a little bit later on, but the Suns' center did nothing to prevent the Bulls from getting inside the lane and really sort of hurting them in the in the second half there. But Jabari had a really floor, a good floor game. But uh, well, do you think it's just an effort thing for him tonight? And and that's why he had this better performance? And if so, is it something that's replicable over the next sort of five to ten games? It's a little bit chicken or the egg, I feel like. You know, when he starts rolling offensively, then maybe he gives a little bit more effort. But maybe if he started giving a little bit more effort in the first place, the ball would find its way through a little bit more often. And yeah. often early. Um, I, I think a big thing, as you mentioned, their interior defense was really bad. And the fact that Zach was, despite a cold start, really drawing a lot of attention on handoffs and pick and rolls um, from the top of the key and coming off of the wing, that he was drawing a second defender almost every time and, and making the right read and dumping it off to you, whether it was Jabari or Wendell, who uh, plays a lot in the short roll. Um, and then those guys were making plays where you know, DeAndre Ayton or whoever it was had to step up. And, and if he didn't, then they would go to the basket. And if he did, then they'd make the right play to either a corner three or somebody in the dunker spot. So um, you really do have to credit them for actually executing. That's something that we haven't always seen necessarily. But um, certainly when things are going the right way, I mean, everything seems to be going the right way. It's not really in the same way that, you know, when things are terrible, everything is terrible. It's It was nice to have it the other way around. Yeah, definitely. And to your point about the dunker spot, Jabari found himself often in that place. And like you said before, he only had the 10 shots, but I never felt that he was sort of forcing things. I felt all game he was within rhythm and really, uh, I guess, finding his place and flow within the offense, which again was a good sign to see. 20 points on 10 shots, you take that return anytime you can get it. So a good game from Jabari Parker and hopefully it holds moving forward but let's talk Zach Levine he returned from a an illness against the uh, Toronto Raptors from the other night so his first game back 
He started off a little bit slow. He, uh, at one point, they only had four points, one of six shooting with some really bad defense. And I thought he may be still lagging from that missed game and maybe that illness had still carried over to him tonight against this game or against the Suns rather. But in the second half, he really stepped it up, had a much better second half, ended the game with a team high 29 points, also had six assists himself, only two turnovers, which is an improvement and got to the line nine times. So he really took over down the stretch and looked like the Zach Levine of old or at least the one we've been used to maybe in the first five or so games of the season. Well, he's had a couple of days rest at this point. Um, I think the last game that he played was he he took the last game off and then they had those two full days rest where they had practice um, and of course they were just spectacular practices with incredible effort as Fredo says um, <laughs> but yeah I mean he started off really cold it looked like it was going to be a really tough night for him the ball is just like you know hitting the inside of the iron three times and bouncing out uh, he didn't have his first points until like six minutes to go in the second quarter so. Uh, it really looked slow, and then he rattled off like three out of four and then finished the game 10 of 20. Um, I think he was four of six in the fourth quarter or something like that, um, maybe four of eight. So uh, he really did end up having a nice shooting night, um, and the attention that he draws really, I think, opens up the floor for everybody else. Um, and I think that's like kind of an underrated uh, asset that he has. And that will like be one of the ways that he maybe can make his teammates better when he's not got this six to two tur- assist to turnover ratio because most of the time I think his average this year is four and four. So um, that attention that he draws, that kind of gravity um, that pulls the extra defender, he's got to get a lot better at making the right reads and and having those extra reps certainly helps. So um, I think today against maybe a lower caliber team, we're able to see some of those uh, rewards. Yeah, and I think to that point, I think it it probably makes Zach Levine's life a lot easier when he's supported by this kind of Jabari Parker who had the 20 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists. When he's able to get that support, it probably makes things a lot easier for Levine to sort of carry that load and not have to force things to the point where he's throwing the ball away. Like we said before, only two turnovers to the six assists. That's a pretty good return. You'll take that every single game. So it's important for Levine to have the support that he hasn't necessarily had uh, routinely throughout this season, but Jabari Parker was good. But I'm giving the game ball to uh, my guy, Ryan Archidiakno. I thought he was brilliant all night. The grip master himself. The grip he master. Was... <laughs> He's been shooting the three ball well all season, but he had another four tonight against the Suns, four or six on the night, 14 points, three rebounds, three assists, and probably the single best hustle play of the season, I reckon. Of all time. I think of all time we want to go there all right I'll I'll go there he was awesome I mean he really was I give him shit sometimes because he is like just I mean objectively a lesser athlete than a lot of these guys uh but he has been playing really well he is like lifting up the team and their energy and I think that really matters as I mentioned before um and when he's hitting the open three too I mean when you've got a guy that you know, starts the game guarding Devin Booker and, and is giving him a little bit of a hard time, although Booker did start pretty hot. Um, all you can really do with a guy like that is hope to make like life difficult for him. So I think he did just that. He shot five or seven. He's making all these hustle plays. Uh, he's playing good defense. He's a plus eight. That's that's all great. I think he's like warranted that uh, that he's kind of taken over campaign's role as a starting point guard. Yeah, he's been he's been great. And if you compare him to what he was last season where he was so timid, and even at times this season, 
he was actively looking for his shot tonight to a to a degree. Like not not necessarily inside the three point line, but when he was open at the three point line, he was more than willing to pull uh, pull on that jumper sort of thing. So he I think he's getting a lot more confident. Day. Yeah, <laughs> there was a few times where he's sort of demanding the ball so he could take that that three ball. So he's obviously feeling confident from the three point line. He also had this nice basket around the rim tonight to get towards his fourteen points. So he's definitely a more improved and more confident player and for me I'm I'm very I'm very happy to see him playing this way and I thought he did a pretty good job guarding Devin Booker. Booker did have a little bit of a period there in the second quarter where he had five consecutive baskets I think at one point for the Suns but the Bulls were asking a lot of Archie Diakono to sort of run with Booker at times having Zach Levine guard Isaiah Cannon sort of thing in the corner just to hopefully preserve Levine I suppose so more to so he could use his energy more on the offensive side of the ball so in that's that actually respect, a really th- good point uh that I just wanted to hit on because I think that also may have contributed in some way to Zach's slow start it looked like they were really trying to like ease him into this game yeah. he was settling a little bit he didn't really get to the line until the second quarter um and it was the same on defense like he wasn't really being engaged guarding Cannon he was getting under all the pick and rolls he wasn't fighting over them so uh it's okay with me i feel like he's playing 38 minutes a game um you got to be careful with a guy who's had an acl already like i understand that but i do think that in some ways that contributes to his slow starts yeah it's an interesting one because i I see both sides because obviously you want to conserve the guy for his offensive output particularly given the bulls are missing so much on offense at them at this point in time but at the same time i kind of would have liked to see him be tasked with guarding Devin Booker and having to sort of play on ball and see his defense and just get a bit of better look on how his his defense looks against a, a really good perimeter scorer. But I understand the logic as to why that wasn't necessarily the case. But he had a pretty good second half, so I'll take that from Zach Levine, even though he necessarily didn't start as well as we would have hoped. But I came into this game wanting to see Wendell Carter Jr. versus DeAndre Ayton and that's what this game was going to be about to, About for me. Probably didn't necessarily live up to that. Wendell Carter Jr., only the five points, five rebounds. But, I mean, his, his time was limited because of the five fouls. Two of those fouls, I thought, were pretty bad calls there on the Bulls. Oh, my center. God. That one on Booker in the corner where yeah, he, like, switched on. That was terrible. That he was, was really pissed cool. about that one after the game. Yeah. I mean, look, I rarely get on the refs. I know they're they're an easy scapegoat, and, and I know it's the typical fan thing to really blame the refs for a loss or for a foul or for this or that. But in that instance, that play that you just sort of referenced there, he clearly didn't touch Booker at all. Yes, he bit on the fake. Yes, he went up to sort of contest the shot, but he was able to maneuver his body around to the point where he sort of avoided Devin Booker. And I guess the ref just assumed that he got him, but he didn't. But that was a crucial call for, for Carter Jr. So he only had the five... He had the five fouls and only and barely played 20 minutes of the game, but DeAndre Ayton had 18 points, 12 rebounds, and five assists. So he probably gets the nod here over Wendell Carter Jr. in their first meeting against each other. But did, did you feel like Ayton had any effect on the game at all? I, I didn't... I wasn't sure what his numbers were during the game, and then I checked the box score post-game, and I saw that he had 18, 12, and 5. But they're pretty damn good numbers, but I just didn't feel like he had that sort of, a, that sort of impact. He's such a polished scorer. He's enormous. I mean, that guy is towers over Wendell, uh, yeah. who's, I mean, obviously a little bit shorter, but he's like bulkier too. He His great footwork. Um, I think they should be running the ball through him a little bit more. Their shot distribution was like 
you know, they had Jamal Crawford with 12 shots, Rashawn Holmes with 11 shots, Booker had 20, Aiton had 13, DJ Warren had 15. So I would, I would try to get him some more shots, but, um, in terms of affecting the game, I think you got to look at it from the defensive standpoint. And I think Wendell is like leaps and bounds ahead of Aiton, um, both in team and individual defense. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm willing to go on record and say Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be the better player. And I, and I misspoke there but before by saying he only had five points. I believe he had 14 points. I was looking at his five uh, fouls there. So Carter Jr. in the limited minutes was able to actually score pretty effectively against DeAndre Ayton. So He had six points early. I mean, when he's going, he's good. But I think the foul trouble really took him out of his game. And to be fair, I mean, when you've got your hands full with a guy like that, it, it's understandable. But uh, to his credit, he picked up a foul with like five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, played through that, and, and finished the game pretty well. So, um, I mean, everybody keeps saying this, but he plays beyond his years. He's very mature. He's very smart. But he's, like, probably got the highest basketball IQ on the team, I would say, at this point. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty clear, just just from the way he speaks. I, and I he's think played he speaks in a 15 way. games. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's stupid, and it, it really is stupid. I think we're taking for granted what we are seeing from Wendell Carter Jr. a little bit. I think we've spoken about him a lot generally as a fan base, but probably not enough considering one where he was drafted at seven. You don't necessarily see this sort of return from a rookie center taken at seven at his age. It's kind of insane. But then to see what he's doing so early, it's it's nuts. It defies defies any expectations that I had of him thus or this early, I guess. He, well, he's been amazing. The Bulls have done it now twice in a row where they've really they have. like hit the lottery at number seven. And I think that that is putting into the mind, into some of the fans minds that like they maybe can afford to win some of these games because they'll hit on a guy like Larry Markkinen, like Wendell Carter Jr. at seven, if they don't tank as hard as some of these other teams. Um, so, and I'm pretty conflicted about this, not necessarily because of my faith in the Bulls drafting, although they, to their credit, have been great. I just think that, uh, it's really, really hard to replicate that. It's, it's hard to do it once, let alone replicate it twice or three times. Um, so, I mean, how much does this win affect the tank? I know it's November 21st and it's like, are we really talking about this? But, um, you've got these three guys from Duke. There's Nas Little. I mean, there's some really, really talented players that could, add like a cornerstone piece to this core i don't really know how to balance the idea of like player development and the stuff that fred was talking about pregame about like winning and building confidence with getting what could potentially be like the franchise player to pair with a zach levine who's playing out of his mind with wendell carter who's awesome and larry markinen and some of these other pieces that they have i i just don't know yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting topic, and I, I don't know how relevant it's going to be once Mark and Portis and Dunn get back. I think once those players get back, then we might see a different team, a more competitive team. Not to say the Bulls haven't been competitive, because I think after that Warriors loss, they have been pretty good. Obviously, they had a pretty rough week last week against the Celtics, the Raptors, and the Bucks, but that was sort of shorthand there, so I almost give them a pass for how bad they were. But when you think about the teams the Bulls have beaten, the Cavs, the Hawks, uh, today, the Phoenix Suns and the New York Knicks, they're the four worst teams in the league at the moment. So, And the four teams ahead of them in the lottery. Exactly. So to that point, I, I wonder 
And to another point, which you just sort of referenced a couple of times, that the Suns are this big body team where they've got a lot of wings. The top of this draft is a wing sort of draft. So I I don't know if the Bulls are going to be bad enough to necessarily to sort of put themselves or position themselves in that top three to four. But I'm basically banking on lottery reform, sort of helping them out here. Maybe they fall, they don't fall within the top three or four in terms of having the worst records, but maybe because of the the flattened percentage in terms of a percentage chance in getting that top three pick, or you can even get into the top four now, so it's not a top three sort of thing. Maybe the Bulls can pull something out in that sense, but I don't think they're going to be bad enough to really cement themselves as a bottom sort of three or four team in the league. I don't think you need to be worried about your bet with C Red Fred yet in terms of record. Oh, I'm but... not worried about that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that the Bulls, if they do want to tank, and a, a large portion of my thought on this believes that they should, um, these games are really important to lose because if you look at what happened last year, they lost, they had like a winning record. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, I want to say something like 13 and 7 against the teams that were ahead of them in the lottery and if you flatten that out to 500 or you know a couple games below 500 then you're talking about you know a top three or four pick and i know that wendell is probably going to end up being like one of the steals of the class but like the bulls still need a true franchise cornerstone i don't think they have that yet i think they've got some really really good pieces but this is really the year to get it because next year it's going to be i think a little bit too late on the timeline where you know, Zach's like 25 at that point, you know, making in the second year of his deal. And you've got to start to think about extending some of your other young guys. I think the timeline is pretty much this is the last year. And so I do think it's really important. And, you know, to the people that would say, well, it's only November and we're already talking about tanking. It's like, yeah, these games are really important to lose because all these other teams are trying to lose them too. And when you're talking about Chris Dunn uh, coming back pretty soon, Bobby Porter's coming back pretty soon, Lowry, uh, I agree with you. I think they're going to be a little bit more competitive. I think obviously those guys are really good in their own right, but then they slide everybody else who's been starting further back. You have a lower kind of responsibility on Zach, whose efficiency will probably go up as the, that's kind of the general correlation. Um, I, I, I think it's important to kind of bag some of these L's here while, while they can. Um, otherwise they are going to, really miss out on what could be a great player and potentially what could be their next like really good team. Yeah, look, I've definitely had these thoughts myself. So I don't necessarily disagree with too much of what you're saying, but I think there's just too many factors working against them um, outside of their control. The East at the moment is just truly horrific. I mean, Miami and Washington are two teams that I assumed were going to be in the playoff picture. They're both 6-11 and 11 right now. Neither look real likely to get into that playoff positioning and there's a chance that once the Bulls are healthy, they could go past both of those teams. So obviously there's a lot to sort of play out, but I think the the fact that the Bulls are going to have these returning players coming back, who those players will have a lot to prove themselves. Bobby Portis, Jabari Parker, they're playing for a new contract. Chris Dunn is in year three. He's trying to establish himself and really, I guess he's not up for a new contract per se, but he'll be wanting to really cement himself as the point guard of the future going forward. And same thing with Larry Markham. He's missed basketball. He wants to come back and he'll want to come back and play well as soon as he gets back. So there's a lot of these factors sort of working against the Bulls, which I think will prevent them from falling in that sort of bottom five range. I think it's more likely that they're in that seventh, eighth, ninth range again. But maybe with the new lottery sort of system in place in terms of the percentages that each position has in terms of winning the lottery, maybe that is... The, the luck that the Bulls have in terms of getting into that top three or four. But 
we'll, look, obviously, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I, I, I clearly hear what you're saying. I mean, I think you, I mean, you also have to look at what happens if you don't get one of these top three picks. So um, I'm not as familiar with kind of the second half of the top 10 uh, or beyond that in the lottery in, in the first round. I know there's probably going to be some good talent, as there always is, and maybe the Bulls will strike it rich again. Um, that's certainly a possibility. I think the probability of that is pretty low, though, just given how low it already is and on top of the fact that they've already done it. Um, so, I mean, yes, you've seen improvement from Zach. Hopefully we can see that same improvement from Chris Dunn when he comes back, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Um, I think Lowry's going to be really, really good. Uh, Wendell's getting better every game. So, I mean, you have some pieces, but like, where does this core top out if you don't get that kind of player? Or where else do you turn in order to get that kind of player? I know that people have been floating, kind of packaging for John Wall or Brad Beal as this Wizards team kind of implodes. Um, I just, I don't know what the next move is because I think that I'm just not quite as confident in this Bulls core. Not necessarily that they're not going to be you know, a top out as a playoff team, but much beyond that. And, you know, that's certainly where I would like to be is beyond that. Yeah, I, look, I think everyone agrees with that. And I mean, to that point, the, and like we said a little bit earlier, this is a wing-heavy draft, particularly at the top. And if we think about the Bulls' wings at the moment, there's not a lot of depth there. So in this game against the Suns, Hutchinson was ruled out with back spasm, so he didn't play. Valentine's obviously been ruled out for the season, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. So he obviously didn't play. The Bulls basically were using Antonio Blakeney yeah, at he was times their, as their he was backup, backup small three. forward. Behind yeah, Justin Holiday, who's already not a three. Exactly. So they've got very slight guys playing the small forward position. Now, obviously, the Bulls will have cap space in 2019 to maybe fill out that position. But it's unlikely to be a game-changing type free agent that's going to come here and play small forward. So whilst I don't necessarily think the Bulls are, are bad enough to tank it out, it is almost in their best interest to have a top three, top four pick. That way they can land one of these potential wings to slot in at that small forward position. But whilst it makes sense in that perspective, I I just don't know if it's going to happen. But obviously there's a lot of basketball still to be had. And maybe this draft over over the college season, maybe it sort of shapes up in a way that a few of these other lesser wings that are more likely to be available in that sort of six to eight range, maybe they prove to be better than what we're sort of projecting at the moment. But obviously a lot to be played out. But like I sort of said there, the Bulls were relying quite heavily there on Antonio Blakeney, who had to play small forward. He actually had a good Blakeney game today, 14 points on 10 shots in He's 24 minutes. He's been so cold coming into this game, so it was nice to see him heat up a little bit. That dunk that he had was insane. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. That was incredible. I'm glad they called a timeout after that because there was no way he was getting back on defense <laughs> and actually manning up on anyone because he was too busy celebrating on just celebrating after the dunk. So I'm glad someone called a timeout there, but... We got a good Blakeney game. He was more controlled within the flow of the offense, but that's what we're talking about here, and that's why the tanking topic's actually mentioned, because right now he's the Bulls' best reserve wing at the moment, which is concerning. He was someone that was undrafted, and he's going to be playing a lot more minutes across the season now that Valentine is hurt. So let's talk Denzel Valentine and the fact that he... The news sort of filtered through that he's going to be pretty much missing the next four to six months, which is going to be effectively his season. He won't be playing at all this season. We don't get to see him at all. And it sort of continues the long line of injuries that Denzel sort of had. He he missed games in 2016-17 with ankle issues. He had ankle surgery in 2017. I think he missed the end of last season as well with a knee injury. I think he had a scope sort of thing done on his knee. 
I'm pretty sure as well before he was drafted, he came in with some injury history with his lower legs, whether it was the ankle or knee, I don't recall. But it seems like this guy appears to be a bit of an injury-prone player. He's he's definitely had some issues with his legs, particularly his ankles. But this is a huge setback for Denzel Valentine, who in year three really needed to establish where he sort of fit on this roster, but more holistically in the NBA. But what does this mean for Denzel and his career now that the fact that he's missing his basically all of his third year in the NBA? I feel bad for him because, you know, I mean, obviously you never want to see a guy lose a season to an injury. Injuries are the worst and should be banned. And, like, you know, he is somebody that, like, the Bulls took in the first round that, like, potentially could fit some of this need that you're talking about in terms of wing versatility. Obviously he's not, you know, a super gifted athlete. He's... Not a great defender, but he does add value in terms of being able to pull up and shoot threes. His catch and shoot threes are very good, uh, and and he's a solid playmaker when he's not trying to do too much. So uh, he does have value, and I don't necessarily know like where where Bobby Portis's injury like allows him to come back and like you know kind of give himself a chance to still get that next contract that he wants. Uh, the, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the same for Valentine. Uh, obviously, he'll have next season before his rookie extension is has to be completed, but um, it does really suck for him in terms of that contract. And, you know, if you're Garpax, if you're Fred, you have to be wondering how he fits now into the future of this team. Um, does he have any trade value? I, I don't know. I mean, it's just really hard to tell with a guy who can't get on the floor. Yeah, it's, it's it's going to be a problem. And given that the Bulls have effectively picked up his auction for next season, he's effectively going to be on the books next season. That's assuming the Bulls obviously retaining. But do you think that he definitely will be back next season? I'm assuming he will be. I doubt that they give up on him after a year here. But do you think there's any chance at all that he doesn't come back to the Bulls at least? Yeah, so I, I guess my guess would be that he's back. I just don't think that they'll be willing to part with him or move him just because I don't think the return is going to be that great, especially when he's not able to prove his worth. Uh, you know, there are going to be teams that want some, some sort of shooting and playmaking from the wing. Uh, maybe somebody's interested, but I think that everybody's going to want to see whether or not he can stay on the floor before they part with any assets. Which brings me to my next question. Should the Bulls have picked up his fourth-year option so soon? Obviously, there's a deadline to do so, but given that he obviously they didn't really see him through preseason, they're obviously not going to see him at all during the season. Now, they had to project a little bit that, that maybe he would be back and maybe the setback sort of got to the point where the Bulls couldn't have foreseen him missing the season, but should they have picked up his option so soon? Yeah, I think with like most, almost all like rookie-scale deals like that it's just like super cheap contract they're movable they're young players um you have team control over them and you can kind of use that restricted free agency when it gets to that point um so and and then what would you do as an alternative like what would you do with that with that roster spot and with that cap space um i think you know i'm not the biggest denzel valentine believer i think there are some things that he does really well I think there are more things that he doesn't do super well, but um, I also think that like the chances of them like finding some other hidden gem with that space is probably a little less likely. 
Yeah, nah. And look, I'm, I'm not necessarily being too critically sorry too critical against the Bulls for for picking up that option I think in a lot of ways it did make sense but it really is poor timing all around unfortunately and more more so for Denzel Valentine who seems pretty confident that he can bounce back from this anyway so here's to hoping that Denzel's career isn't really limited here but and hopefully this this surgery that he's sort of going to undertake now really does improve the issues that he sort of continuously is having here with his ankles so hopefully uh, the best is still to come for Denzel Valentine. And if we, it is with the Chicago Bulls, hopefully all is well with Denzel as we sort of move forward here. And before we get away, Will, I wanted to talk to you about the RPM numbers that have sort of been released by ESPN earlier this week. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to talk about it just yet, but I wanted to get your thoughts about ESPN really releasing their real plus minus numbers and where the Bulls figured in that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much uh, information or how much you've been able to digest of that information of where the Bulls sort of are situated on there, but I'm sure you've you've read the hi- the highlights with Jabari Parker being ranked 430th out of the 430 players making up that list. Yeah, I'm going to steal your joke here and uh, say that I'm just scrolling now to page 11 of the 11 pages that we have here uh so i can look through them all i have not had a chance to really dive into them i will say like these early rpm numbers are probably pretty noisy just in terms of like uh hot streaks to start the season like archie diacono is 86th so there's your boy um so and he's shooting really hot and playing good defense so that i mean that makes sense but is it sustainable i'm not sure um so it's that kind of thing but uh it's always interesting i think rpm is like a really valuable all-in-one tool i think it's probably one of the best ones that that we have and it when i look at it it's kind of like ballpark what does this do what does the player do well what does he not do well um and like is this guy worth keeping around um so yeah i mean i i guess i I'd rather hear more about what you have to say than than just hear me babble about whether or not it's a useful tool. No, look, I think think when this sort of is published and I get why people, particularly people who don't necessarily believe in advanced stats, when they see Jabari Parker ranking out as 430th out of 430, I understand why they can sort of turn away from RPM straight away and say this stat is crap, this stat is flawed, why would I even bother using it? But I think the the problem with RPM is the perception and, and, and how we should be using the tool itself. So because ESPN sort of rank 1 through 430th, it gives this perception that they're almost ranking players, which isn't the case. I think you almost need to approach RPM in the same way you do points per game or rebounds per game in the sense that if you're first in the league in points per game, that doesn't necessarily mean you're the best player in the league. Just like in RPM, if you rank 430th out of 430, that doesn't necessarily mean you're the worst player in the NBA, which I think has sort of been the narrative somewhat that the Bulls have so many of the worst players in the NBA. But I don't necessarily think that is the case. But it's it's a tool or a stat that's sort of meant to represent the all-encompassing value of a player based on lineups they play, based on all the things they're doing on the court. And I think for the first few games of this season, at least, or the first 15 games of the season, now it's obviously ironic given the the, the performance Jabari had today against the Suns, but I think it's fair to say, based on all of the the things and the responsibilities that Jabari sort of had on him, I'm not too too surprised to see him on that last page there of RPM for ESPN. I also think that, like, in addition to what you were saying, I think all valid points, I think 
you have to also consider like what the team is asking the player to do and yeah. that certainly affects like how they're ranked so like if a guy like uh deandre bembry who's ranked 408 right now and i shouldn't have even said ranked but he is the 408th rpm at negative 3.02 like in games where torian prince who's being asked to do a ton and trey young are out he's got to do everything on the floor for that team and they're already one of the worst teams in the league um and maybe that's by design but like you're asking a player who's not capable of doing all this stuff to do more than he's capable of doing like of course he's gonna come out bad in some of these stats um you know a lot of it is does your team play good defense like antonio blakeney 422 here uh has a negative 2.87 defensive rpm um i think yes he's a bad defender individually but is that number kind of is that more about him or is it more about the team? Like, I think those two things are kind of hard to parse apart. And I think it makes it tough when they don't necessarily tell you exactly all the factors that go into creating the stat. Yeah, no, and look, I, I completely agree. And, and like you said earlier, if RPM, it's it's a number or it's a stat that sort of, it probably has more value once we have more data. So through 15 or 17 games, let's just call it 17 games, prior to the Suns game. That, that's not a lot of data to be making any sort of assumptions on, but I think the value of RPM at the moment is just to sort of get a gauge as to where players sort of are, are situated. Now, obviously, Marcus all sort of ranked out number one on RPM. He obviously isn't the best player in the NBA, but given how well the Grizzlies, uh, the Grizzlies have sort of performed over the first 15 or so games, it's not too shocking to sort of see him up there, whereas, you know, someone like Blakeney or Jabari Parker, who... Just just by watching the game, we, we think they're negative players at this point. It's not too surprising to sort of see them at the bottom, but only two Bulls has positives, uh, positive RPMs. They were Justin Holiday, who ranked, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes when I say a rank. He ranked 62nd. Ryan Archidiakono was the only other Bull in positive territory there at 86. And the only other Bull that had a positive RP, offensive RPM was Zach Lavine at so um, three only three balls with positive RPMs in terms of offense, Justin Holiday, Archie Diakono, and Levine, but only two players over a total perspective. So it didn't necessarily read well for the balls, but I guess it was just kind of ironic that Jabari, given all the, the, the negative attention that this fan base has sort of had towards him, happened to just fall 430th out of 430. I sort of almost felt for the guy. Yeah, I mean, I do feel for the guy. I like Jabari as a person. I just... I yeah. think he was a bad fit with his team. Like, I, I know we've talked about it. I just, yeah, I don't We don't have to go into that. No, we won't go into that. Let's let's finish on a positive. Let's let's give some Jabari some pat on the backs for his game today. Like we said a little bit earlier, 20 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists. If he can, if he can do that more frequently, then um, we'll definitely be taking that. But that pretty much wraps up the podcast for today. Will, I appreciate you jumping on this one, particularly given that I know you've been awake a lot of hours over the last couple of last 48 hours let's say you've been doing a lot of work uh, i'm sure for bleacher report over there so i appreciate you jumping on and talking bulls with me now that you're back in chicago it's been a pleasure man i really appreciate it it's good to talk bulls it's good to speak with you so uh yeah it's a lot of fun thanks for having me on
anytime, mate. Follow Will on Twitter at WonkGodLeap. I'm sure you're doing that if you're listening anyway, but be sure to do that. And one other thing before I get away, I put a poll up on Twitter asking if the listeners of this show would be interested in a midweek edition of Bulls HQ. I got a pretty good response in terms of four out of five people that responded to the poll being interested in another sh- another podcast during the week. It'll probably be on the shorter side, probably closer to half an hour, similar to this one was. This one's a little bit longer than half an hour because I had a guest on. But I'm thinking if people want to hear another show, even though this team isn't necessarily at their best right now, I'm prepared to do another midweek show if that's what people want to hear. And based on the poll, uh, as I said a little bit earlier, four out of five people said they'd be interested in putting on another podcast during the week. They'd probably be shorter, sharper, probably more solo type podcast, giving you a bit of an update as to how I'm thinking things are traveling for the Bulls midweek. Often the case when you do a one episode per week type podcast is there's a lot of news that sort of filters through during the season. That By the time that you actually get a chance to speak about it, the news has sort of been and gone. And with the news cycle in these days being so constant, it kind of makes sense to potentially do another show during the week. So if that's something you want to hear, if you want to hear more more of me, I'm not sure why the hell you'd want to, but if that's the case, you want to have another Bulls show to sort of digest through the middle of your week, let me know, hit me up on Twitter. But it's something I'm certainly considering and hopefully when once these players sort of get back from injury, we'll have a lot more to talk about and a lot more of good basketball sort of to reviewing over the coming months. All right, with that out of the way, that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode. So thank you for joining me again this week's Bulls fans. Thanks again for Will to jumping on. Just a quick programming note, we have moved away from SoundCloud. We're now being hosted on Libsyn. So for those users who typically used to get the show via SoundCloud, you can now get us at Libsyn as well as Spotify. So check that out iTunes and Stitcher listeners shouldn't be affected at all, but just a little quick programming note. If you haven't seen the podcast come through your feed, there has been a slight change on our end. But until I talk to you guys next time, follow the show on Twitter at BullsHQPod. Follow me at MKHoops. I'll be back again most likely on Monday morning talking the Heat game, talking the Wolves game, uh, and any other news that sort of filters through from Bulls Nation at this point. But until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me, and I'll speak to you all again next time. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.